0: To the first ever episode of the Various Artists podcast. My name is Wayne Barton, I'm an author and writer, and this series of podcasts is connected to my debut feature length novel, Peach, which is published in November 2018 with Fish Out of Water Books. This idea is sort of a full circle project, really. Um, For those who don't know anything about me, I'm a ghostwriter for more renowned people, helping them tell their stories. I've always been fascinated by human language and relationships and behaviour. I always find myself drawn to art, music, or movies that explore those kind of themes, really, the existential ideas of life and so on. So it's partly my passion on that, from which inspired the writing of Peach, being fortunate enough to talk to people about their lives. And I thought, what better way of articulating what I mean than sharing some of those conversations on that very subject matter with artists from various fields? Various artists, if you will, and also artists who have some connection to the book as well in in some tenuous way or other. I'm delighted to say that my first guest on this podcast is a man who is a personal hero of mine from his first record, 2001's Music for the Morning After to 2016's Arranging Time. P. Yon has provided a heavy percentage of the soundtrack to not only my life, but many more people as well. He's completely sycophantic and completely honest when I say that he's my favorite musician and favorite lyricist over over my entire lifetime. So it's a pleasure and an indulgence that over the last couple of years, I've also been able to call him a friend as well. One of the most incredible people I know. P. was everything? Everything's
1: good, my man. Great to hear your voice.
0: <laughs> Great to hear yours too. <laughs> Um, I want to start by giving a little bit of a congratulations to yourself. Um, you've got a new release out very shortly as the, at the time of this podcast, the EP with Scarlett Johansson called Apart. In all the promotion you did for Breakup in 2009, you spoke about how the idea for that project, uh, and how it came to you in a dream. So how did the idea to revisit it come about, and, and why now? Um, I think a few things came
1: together uh uh, to kind of push it over the top, you know, um, one, it's, it had been in the back of my mind, but I hadn't been actively, uh, pursuing it other than, you know, sometimes I'd write a song or I'd hear a song over the years and I'd be like, Oh, oh I'd love to hear Scarlet on that song. Right. There'd be a lyric I'd write. And I think it would be wonderful for Scarlet to, to sing it. Um, so that stuff was brewing. Um, a lot of people close to us were always asking, when are you guys going to do something else? When are you going to do another record? And, uh, and she would hit me, she would email me once in a while and be like, you know, P, when are we going to make up, you know, like, uh, as a pun on the breakup record. Um, so I kind of got lucky with the timing, uh, maybe, maybe about a year ago, I think she was, had some downtime and I got inspired and texted her again. Like I did the first time I was like, Hey, I got some songs I want you to sing on. And she was like, okay. And she was in LA. And so I got everything ready. And, uh, she came to the studio and, uh, I remember we had, a we, we, we went to Walt Vince's studio in downtown LA. Uh, he's the producer on this one. And, uh, so it kind of has a very kind of old school kind of flavor of what I, you know, what, what I did early on, I think, you know, working with him, but, um, I remember, we had a slice of pizza before we went up. There was a, a new Joe's Pizza, which is a, our favorite place in New York. It opened up across the street on Spring Street in L.A. And so we popped in there, got a slice, brought it upstairs, and we sat and we caught up. And she met Walt for the first time, and we talked about, uh, you know, just where we were at in our lives and what was going on, and brought everybody up to speed. And, uh, and then we hit it. We just started started recording some songs. So
0: anyone who's a fan of yours will know that. Uh, Walt was, the he did a lot of, he returned to your work for arranging time as well. So, you, like you said, a part is almost, there's a traditional Pete Young sound to, to a part. It's infused with Scarlet in a way. Uh, and Break Up was very much its own thing. It had its own sound, very mellow. So how, how did the sound evolve? Was it an intentional thing that you wanted to try something that sounded more like traditional Pete for for a part? It was, you
1: know, uh, we worked with Sonny Levine on the first record on breakup and Sonny's an amazing producer. Mm. And, um, you know, he actually produced a couple songs on arranging time. He did last weekend and and she was weird. Um, but Sonny brings a certain kind of sound to the table where Walt brings a, a different kind of sound to the table. And, uh, yeah, we just happened to, um, you know, I, I, happened to be working with Walt at the time and, and, and it's just kind of the way things went on this one. Um, but uh, yeah, I think just naturally working with Walt, we're going to have a certain sensibility that would be different than the natural sensibility that would come with me working with Sonny. So I think it just shows in the music, and it's it's two different sides of you know where I can go, and and uh, uh, so I think for like for I think like purists of what I do, you know, go way back, like they might recognize um, they might recognize the feel of this record a little bit more, you know, uh, so. Are you excited about it coming out? Yeah. I'm happy to get it out. Uh, and, um, it's, uh, it was, it was fun to work on it and, you know, it's fun to promote it with Scarlett. We just had a, uh, a a live, I flew flew to New York for a couple of days and we did a bunch of press and interviews and stuff. It was fun to kind of reconnect and talk about music and life. And, um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of the record, and so I'm excited for people to hear it,
0: you know. Yeah, can't wait for it. June the 1st. I'll give it another plug at the end of the podcast as well. Um the, the <laughs> reason for the podcast is I wanted to speak to creative people about the creative process and the bigger picture of it all. Like I said, it's part of a series of podcasts I'm, I'm doing to talk about the themes in my forthcoming novel, Peach, which Pete, you've been a wonderful help with. I'll uh, talk a little bit more about that later. I suppose in the interest of full disclosure, as I said earlier, I can confess to being a Pete Yorn fan since your first record and I said all the things, you know, you're my favourite songwriter. So it is a pure indulgence for me. But I've also had that luxury of the indulgence of a couple of years getting to know you as a person as well. I know you're a deep thinker, you're a contemplator. So the first thing I wanted to ask in terms of creative stuff is, you know, about your origins as a musician, as a songwriter. Why did you start playing music, and, and when did you start writing your own songs? The music, you
1: know, I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, the music thing at some point just came really natural. It just seemed like it was something fun to do. We, I have older brothers, and um, one is six years older than me, one's nine years older than me, so I was the, I was the real deal little bro. And we had instruments in our basement my middle brother had a drum set um there were some old acoustic guitars sitting around that were my mom's i think from when she was in college in the 60s um that had like two strings on them three strings she was actually a piano teacher so there was a big piano in our house but they tried to give me lessons uh when i was five and i was a really hyperactive kid i would just not sit still I'd run around really silly really crazy kid and i was not interested in learning um you know uh how to read music or how to, you know, classically sit down and play the piano. I just didn't have it in me. And maybe if I was a little young, but I, I, I actually never never was interested in that. But what I was interested in was I could just hear things. So like if someone played a song that I liked or whatever, I could kinda just go back and just you know, play a simple version of it, at least a melody, you know? So I would hear a song on the radio that I liked and I could kind of just figure it out on piano. Um, but the thing that really got me was, uh, drums. I would watch my brother play drums in our basement. They would have their friends come over would plug in, you know, big martial amps and, you know, electric guitars. And they play Judas Priest covers. I remember once they, once they were in high school and I was, you know, uh, probably eight, seven, eight years old or whatever, uh, I would watch them do this in the basement, and I'd be like, "Wow, this is so cool!" And then they'd leave, and I'd just be like, "I'm going to sneak behind the drums, and I would start messing around." And uh, my middle brother I remembered; he showed me like my first, the first beat. You know how to like use the hi hat and the snare and the kick drum, and it just came really naturally. I didn't even think about it; it was just like I could just do this. Um, and so I was drumming at an early age. Never learned to read that music either, but. I could just play whatever I heard and you like play the beat You did whatever I could play it. And, um, that was great. And my, my favorite thing to do was put on headphones and put on, you know, recordings of, of songs and then just play, play drums to them. And my parents were such looking back, like my parents are pretty conservative people, but they, um, they let us make quite a racket in the basement. I mean, there was a lot of noise coming out of there. Like, I, I don't know if I'd have the patience for that. I might be like, shut up. You know, but they were, uh, they were really, uh, supportive in that way, whether they realized it or not, you know, they, they were, they were super cool. I remember when jump ahead. So I was like 13. So I learned how to play guitar. Uh, I was in a summer camp and there were all these, uh, British counselors. So tradition of, um, a lot of Europeans and, 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 and British um, uh, citizens would come over and they'd, they'd spend like eight weeks working in a summer camp and then they'd travel, you know, around America to see it. And so I remember I was just, met so many cool people from England and a couple of them had acoustic guitars and I remember one of them playing a Smith song and I was like, whoa, what is this? This is cool. And uh, they turned me on to things like Doc Martens and a lot of that culture. Um, in fact, I even traded a pair of Nikes, uh, for a pair of Doc Martens that were three sizes too big, but I just liked them, which, which, which got stolen out of my locker at school, uh, freshman year, I believe, but that's a, another story. But, um, the main thing is I think after that summer I went home and I just started, they showed me custom chords and I was able to play basic, you know, G, C, A minor chords and I never wrote songs when I was playing drums only because I never thought to write songs. And there's really, you know, not much melody in that. But, um, as soon as I learned guitar and a few chords, I naturally started to write songs and, uh, and they, they were, I tried to write songs that sounded like the cure and REM. And I even sang with a super British accent too early on as well. And, uh, yeah it just came naturally it wasn't it wasn't something that I had to like you know the biggest thing I had to work through i remember was like my when I learned chording on the guitar, my pinky would get really sore because this uh making like a g chord or trying to hold yeah. that that high e down would would make my pinky sore but once i built that muscle and got the calluses uh it was no problem and i I never really thought of it as practicing. It was just kind of, it was just fun. I just liked to sit around with my guitar all day and play and and, uh, and the writing thing just kind of came without even thinking about it. It was just like, oh, of course, I'm just going to write a song. Sure, you
0: know? Yeah. So. You're self-taught as a singer and as a musician, right? So do you think that helps your creativity? Because the argument said, if you have been taught by a teacher, you're, you're essentially subjected to their own limitations. So you know, the, the things that they know. So if you're teaching yourself, you are out in the wide world to do whatever you want, really. Yeah, you know, I used to say
1: that I was, you know, I, I guess I, there was part of me that was, like, proud, that, uh, like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't need lessons or nothing like that. I just kind of could hear it, you know. It's like it sounds kind of like this, um, you know, sounds like kind of a cool thing that maybe it was, like, something given to you from some, somewhere else, you know, um, that ability. Um, and I would see my mom, like, like my mom is just like such a great piano player, but if she didn't have a sheet music in front of her, she couldn't do anything. She was useless. Like, couldn't like just jam out with you, you know, like she had to have sheet music, um, which was interesting. Um, and so, I did. Back in the day, I'd be like, yeah, man, like, I, I, I felt that, like, having learned classically would have been a limitation at some point, but it made me, like, it, would have, it probably would have also opened me up to a lot of different things, but I feel like it would have made me potentially just like everybody else who could do that, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like learning it on my own in a weird kind of sort of unorthodox way maybe contributed to me, my own musical personality, you know, and um, and it took, me, it took me pretty far. And, you know, and then you, now that I'm older, like, I don't think I have the, you know, it's like learning language, you know, other foreign languages when you're little, they say is the best way to do it. Yeah. If, I was young, if I was a kid still, I'd probably be better at that. For me to pick up reading music at this age, I probably just don't have the, the uh, patience to do that still. Um, but it probably at this point would open up some new things for me. Uh, but I do love when somebody shows me a new chord, uh, that I that I didn't know, or like a like some beautiful jazz chord, or something that I just hadn't um, ever knew how to put together, and then it could add uh, big changes to you know my template of uh, chords that I would pull from. Um, and that's happened a few times where someone has shown me a new chord, and I end up writing a song that's a little bit different than
0: anything I'd written before. So, do you ever find yourself discovering anything new by yourself? You know, like a Maybe not a new conventional chord, but, you know, a new structure that sounds good to you.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it's just like messing around, you know. If I sit around with the guitar and, you know, try different things, uh, usually I'll stumble upon something. Um, I think now, more than anything, it's 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 forcing myself to kind of go against something that feels good in a weird way. Um, uh, or maybe familiar uh, just to kind of get out of my typical pattern. Like if I'm, there might be like a four chord phrase that just feels really good. I'm like, oh, try this as a three chord phrase and then go to the fourth chord, you know, or something like that as the change. And uh, it makes it more, a little more mysterious to me. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes my initial feeling was just right. But it's fun to, you know,
0: Kind of push that a little bit and try get out of your comfort zone a little bit. When you're writing or creating, are you doing that these days for yourself or for other people? I mean, what's the procedure with that? Because for me, for example, when I write something, if I write a note down or an idea that I think will blossom into a story, it's always I know it's always going to be potentially a far greater investment of time because you you know you can pick up a guitar and you can write a song. But I guess what I'm asking is, do you do that with that, the idea of, well, this could be on a record, it could go on an EP. This is unlike anything I've written before, and I want to create an old new sound with it. What's the balance between doing something for it to be cathartic or doing it with a professional goal in mind?
1: Yeah. I think it always starts from just a, a place of a, a spark, um, whether, uh, you know, I'm just hanging out watching a basketball game or something or doing something nothing to do with music. And then a melody will just pop into my head or a, a lyrical phrase. And I'm like, I got to stop and I got to go capture it on like my voice recorder or my, my iPhone. Um, I feel like I'm never, sometimes if, if there's a context that I've like, if I'm like recording in the middle of recording for a project, if I'm like, uh, well, I have a lot of songs in this key or this tempo or this feeling. Maybe I'll purposely try and like, well, I need a song like this, you know, I need a, a something that's, that feels a little different. So I'll purposely try and go in that direction. Um, that's probably the most calculated I would get at the beginning. Uh, does that ever a work? Does that ever work? It, it, it works. It does work. Um, uh, but one thing I do find is that a lot, I always start it for myself. And then at some point, once it takes shape and starts evoking a bigger thing, the first place my head goes is always to my middle brother. I'm like, oh, like if I feel like he's going to like it, like I get excited to play it for him or send it to him. Um, my brother Rick. Um yeah, Kevin too, but more Rick. I think us we we shared more uh, of the musical influences in common. And uh, uh, when I was growing up, um, even though there's a lot of music that Kev loves that that uh, that I connect to as well. Me and the chorus stuff like that, O. E. M., Kira Smith, the Brit Pop, all that. Like me and Rick were kind of like on the same page there. So when something kind of has that thing, uh, I'm always thinking of him. Um, it's weird sometimes I'll be in the middle of recording a song and I'm like oh my god this is the greatest thing this is like this is the one you know like this is uh feels super fresh. and then like two hours later like I'm just like oh this sucks <laughs> it's so weird it's so weird how it could just goes south and then sometimes, and then other times I give it a minute and I get it. And other times there'll be one night I leave the studio and I'm like, oh, we missed, I didn't like it. And then I like get away from it for a few days and I go back and I'm like, whoa, it was perfect. Um, weird, weird phenomena like that. And I think that speaks to so much. of like your own perception messing with you a little bit. And you can get too focused on elements of a recording or a song where you kind of lose sight. Even when you're trying not to, even when you're aware that you're doing that, it's it's, it's such a mysterious process um, that, uh, you know, one little thing can just mess it up and, and, and take it away. So uh, it's, a, it's a cool process. I'm in the middle of recording now. I've, wait, I can't wait to play you guys know, on stuff. I got 14 brand new songs wow. recorded and we're going to go for 15 and then we're going to kind of go back and like, just make sure everything is as strong as it can be. But I've been working with, um, this great new, uh, partner that I met at a birthday party back in October. And then we finally connected, uh, in January. And we just, we've only worked in the studio together, maybe 17 days. And there's Fourteen new songs just from the seventeen. We to basically do a song a day,
0: uh, and um, I think you're going to dig it. Is that is that production style, or is it we collaborating like like what you did with JD King? Um, it's not. I'm singing at it all. It's it's it's
1: it's um some stuff. Some songs I bring in kind of fully formed, and he helps. You know, he engineers it all. And, plays on it and sings awesome backing vocals and has great ideas. And then some songs we just start from scratch and we just kind of make them together. Uh, but I'm singing it all. So it's, it's, like, it's, it's like my project, but he's been just such a great collaborator. Um, uh, really fun, nice
0: guy to work with. Cool guy. Wow. That's very exciting. I can yeah. barely contain myself, Pete. But I... so, there's, <laughs> so there's a lot of new stuff coming, is my point. Yeah, Good stuff, because I know there was a... I guess I'm getting off track with my questions, but I know that in one of our conversations over the last year, you were unsure at some point, weren't you? There was a point where you you even said to me, and I may be giving a a terrible spoiler away here, that you said that you weren't sure what you, you would do next. You weren't even sure if you would put out anything. It's crazy. Literally,
1: two days before, so I met this kid at a birthday party in October, and then it was late at night. We were both pretty drunk punk, and it was like, yeah, we should hook up or record, you know, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just forgot about it. And then in January, uh, we got reconnected and he's like, come to my studio. So like, two days later I go to his studio and we talk about everything. Like, should we do something together? What do you want to do? Whatever. And we just hit it off right away. He was like, as soon as I met him, he was like an old friend. It was one of those people that you just could easy to talk to. He just kind of saw, uh, the world in a lot of similar ways and with a lot of connection points. Um, so, but the funny thing is, is a couple of days before we reconnected in January, I was sitting with my brother, Rick, who I mentioned at, uh, this place called the Brentwood country mart in, in California. And we were sitting at this little bar in there, uh, about to have lunch, and he's like, he's like, "Pete, I was like, I need some new Petey, man. When are you gonna record some new music?" And I sat there and I said, "I don't know, man. I'm just like, like honestly, all my inspiration is just going to LED right now. It's like being a dad. and I'm, I'm just putting all my energy there, and I, I haven't really been inspired to even pick up my guitar, you know. And I was like, I wish, I, I wish, I, you know, I got something else to say or bar that, but I'm just not there, you know." two days later, I get the email from the guy who I met in October. It's like, yeah, let's look up. Like, a couple days after that, go in. We had a plan to make an EP. Goes, let's make an EP. Let's record some songs together. A couple days later, I go back in. Boom. And then 12 days later, it was like 12 new songs. And I was like, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And it wasn't like, it wasn't just like 12 new songs. They were The most excited I had been about new music since I was, like, 25 years old, you know, like, it was, like, it felt, uh, it was, and it was so crazy how it came out of nowhere, it was, like, and that, it's, like, you know, something we could talk about, you know, about the creative process, and, you know, I saw, I watched a documentary on Steven Spielberg called Spielberg uh, the other day. And he also said, he's like, he's like, a lot of times I go into every, sh- every shot I do, I still get nervous before everyone. It's like mainly because I don't even know what the heck I'm going to do. I don't know what it's going to be until so I get in there and see it and just start doing it. And then the process of figuring that out is like the most rewarding thing. And it made me feel like, it's like yeah, I know. if I look back, back on me, a lot of times it's like it just seems so dark or it seems so dry and nothing's going to happen. Then out of nowhere, just one little move the whole floodgates open up yeah. and it's just like, it's happened a number of times and it's uh,
0: just one of those things. You just never know, you know? Yeah. Are there any songs that you, from the P Young catalog that you wish you could rewrite or, or lines of songs? <sighs> oh man
1: you know, there's probably part of me that would change a few things, but in the big picture, I know that once I'm done with it, and I put it out into the world, it's kind of, that's it, you gotta let it go, you know? So I don't really obsess about that sort of thing.
0: Um, I guess guess the difference is with with songs, you you could do that live, can't you? You you can experiment live with that. That's a good
1: point. I could, I you know, and it it is fun live to kind of if I want to rephrase something and sing in a slightly different way, um, I can do that. And that's why I do think that like, you know, when I'm out on the road and last time I saw you, I think was in Atlanta, right. When I was out on the road, you know, even though it's like nerve wracking and I'm away from the family and I'm traveling and that kind of gets me out of my comfort zone. um, There is something very rewarding about the living, breathing catalog uh, and interacting with, you know, people every night getting to share that experience and, uh, recreate a song, especially acoustic, like any way I want, any, any time I can take it wherever I want. And that, that ultimately feels really good. And it feels like, um, I'm part of something and it feels like the music is alive and that someone's experiencing it. And we're all, it's almost like the rock crowd. And, you know, it's like, we're all kind of experiencing this thing together. And, uh, I walk off stage. It's very, but usually a very fulfilling moment. That I just like. I feel um, I feel really really good, especially if I know that I challenged myself and uh, you know didn't take any shortcuts. Yeah. Are there any songs that you you wrote that
0: meant one thing when you wrote them, and now they mean something else completely? Absolutely. Um, that's the
1: thing with my songs. I feel like, you know, some of them are very specific, but, um, even if they meant something specific at the time, it's like, I could look at it now from a different headspace. And I just think I'm almost witnessing, I sing it as like the, you know, looking at that person who wrote the song in the rearview mirror and kind of looking at their, their moment with the perspective that I have now, which is, which is, um, it's a cool thing to be able to, yeah. Um, then there are songs that, like, I wrote that I thought were about other people, and then, like, all of a sudden, they're about me. You know, like "For us, is one of those. I remember I had written about one of my bandmates uh, at the time who was going through some, you know, uh, some personal, some t- tough t- times, and then, you know, not even a year and a half later, all of a sudden I'm like getting hit with some shit and, and I'm struggling in my own way. And all of a sudden all those lyrics were just about me.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's happened a number of times. Yeah. How often do you, um, practice? I mean, how often, for example, might you have errant verses and chor- choruses that you thought that have no other place I because, you know, writing in the traditional sense, you can't just write a scene that has no place. You write ideas, and I guess my version of it is I, I write dialogue. But you know, generally those characters have to exist in my head before I can write the dialogue down. You know, a, a conversation between people; those characters at least have to ex- exist. You know, I know that you said you sometimes come up with an idea, but can you have like an idea that's sat on your phone for say weeks with no place to put it? Absolutely. I call them spare parts. Like, uh, you know, if I was
1: working on a car or something like that, uh, I think Bruce has a song called spare parts too. And he's talked about this, but yeah, like I'll have, uh, just phrases that don't have a home that I like them, you know, um, or chord progression that don't have any lyrics. Uh, and I'll find In fact that they put it a lot on this new material, where I'll be, you know, needing some lyrics or a bridge or something like that, and I could kind of look back through my phone. I got a whole list of them, you know? I'm like, oh, I could pull that from here, and I could pull that from there. There's a new song called I Want to Be the One that, you know, I remember I was writing the verses, and I think I was babysitting Ellington, and it, um, it had, uh, I think I was definitely writing, with with her in mind, you know, uh and then when we were recording it, I needed like a, a like a B section, another section that didn't exist, and I was like looking through my phone, and I was like, oh wait, this other thing that I really love totally doesn't have anything to do with it. Let me see if I could figure out how to repurpose it and put it into this, and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, it was like a perfect counterpoint to what I had already put down, and so yeah, I love when I could take you know. Uh,
0: spare parts and, and plug them in where, where where I need them, for sure. You're a pretty big reader. Um, you're a big reader of biographies. This is a little bit meter, but writing peaches, influenced partly by the work I've done as a ghostwriter and conversations that I've been lucky to have with yourself, the actor Charles Baker as well, I've worked with, and other people. And as a writer, I guess I've always found myself captivated by the almost rigid lifestyles some people live in a certain way. I guess it's what people would describe as being a product of your environment and your experiences, that when something happens, if it's a bad thing, you're conditioned by what you've experienced in your life to react in a certain way. And really it's only further experience and education and conversation that can broaden that and help you change. I guess I, I think it was probably talking to you really that made me th- more think like that. It makes me question and second-guess myself sometimes in a, in a good way. And so much of this behaviour is a result of reaction. You, know, it's, you don't take a second to consider the ultimate balance of everything. You know, As humans, generally, we're so selfish that when somebody does something that affects us, and let's say, for example, that effect is, you know, generally makes us sad or angry, we always think about how it affects us and not what's going on for those people to have done that. What's their motivation? Why, why have they done it that way? And I was wondering... I guess it's not really connected to that in the bigger picture, really, is well. what what you take from biographies, what makes you so fascinated with with other people's, um, you know, their, their motivations and, and their inspirations.
1: I find, you know, everybody loves a hero story, you know, and I find that, uh, you know, when you get to, yeah, everyone knows the kind of the, the, you know, the public side of, you know, certain people who are known throughout history. But when you read a biography, you know, especially if it's like a, a good one, you kind of get to see the human side. And it's that, you know, when you learn about, you know, the kind of the human struggles that everyone goes, goes through and learn about, you know, adversity that, that they dealt with and how they worked through it you know, it just, it's inspiring, you know, it gives you inspiration that, that you can get through your, your own struggles and and you can deal with adversity and it gives you, um, more of a broad kind of perspective on life in general, you know? Um, so I think that's the thing I like about that stuff most that resonates the most, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so like, you know, and even if it's, if it's a personal thing or just like, a simple thing, you know. You know, it's like from, from from whether it's Dylan telling you like, don't fall into the nostalgia trap, man. I mean, I read that line, it's like nostalgia is the killer. Don't do it. And I was like, didn't understand at the time, you know. And then after years of being like mildly just depressed all the time because I'm too nostalgic as my set point. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? He's right. This is a nostalgia living in the past in a way, you know, Like you can appreciate it. But if you're living in the past, then you're missing the now, you know, this moment. And if you're missing this moment, then you're, you're probably not, you know, um, in the most peaceful, uh, pure place that you could be. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, the other side of it, just, like, reading that the Beatles or you 2 like, couldn't get a record deal, you know, for years finally, like, the Beatles had to get signed to a novelty label at the time, you know, like, it's just, like, it gives you hope, you know. It's just like, all right, well, it's a struggle. It's okay, you know, so stuff like that. Um, And, uh, you know, the Andre Agassi biography, I remember, just, like, it opens up with him about to play the U.S. Open and just, like, in the shower, like, crying and wincing in horrible pain and just talking about how he just hates tennis, how he just doesn't even want to do it. And you're like, what? Like, you just didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, and, you know, everyone has those times where, you know, whatever, however awesome a job may seem, you know, there's that tendency to let it become just a job. You know, and you miss the – you miss the – the amazing opportunity that it is, you know? And so uh, there's just so much to be learned from all
0: these human stories, you know? And you're a people-watcher, right? I mean, so even beyond biographies, you could just find yourself watching anyone, anywhere, at any time, and just thinking, what is your story? You know, if they, if they behave in a certain way, not, I'm not the crazy person on the street, but even if someone looks a certain way in a restaurant, and you just think, well, your story, man, do you know? I, I find myself like that, I know I'm a, I'm a people watcher.
1: Yeah, you know, that's always an interesting thing to do, and I'm interested in people, and I find the more interested in people you are, the more people are going to be interested in you, it's a weird thing whether they know it or not. Uh, mm. and, and that's just interest in life, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's fun to kind of kind of, um, wondering about people's stories you know what else i love doing is like i go into an old house a friend of mine was like flipping houses and he wanted to show me this old one and he had got it for a steal and he was going to kind of gut it and you know totally redesign it but the house that existed there it was still like a it was a time capsule of like 1972 like had like green shag rug and it was <laughs> Furniture, and I could just see the family in that time that lived there and all the kids that grew up in that house and everything, you know, yeah. that played out in that house. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder if it would be so cool just to be like a fly on the wall, you know, and go back and be here for like one Thanksgiving and just see, see who's around the table and what's going on and what, what was going on in this house. Um, You know, stuff like that is
0: interesting to me. I think maybe that – sorry, getting you off track, but that – because that's so close to when you were born, so you can attach your own self to it. Safe. it's 1962. If it has 60s or 50s decorations, you don't quite have that attached. I could go there. I could go there because I've seen so much of it in films. I have my own idea of yeah. what it would be. You
1: know, I could do it in 1800s, 1700s, no problem. I could I could
0: kind of wonder about that, too. No problem. Um, on, on the theme of houses, home is a theme in, in my novel, and I know that home's a big theme for you. So what is home for you now? I mean, you grew up in New Jersey. You've been in L.A. for more than half of your life. But I know you've said many times that if your family were in South Carolina, for example, you, that's where you would be. Has your idea of home changed at all since you became a father?
1: Um, you know, well, right now home is in California. It's been for quite some time, in Santa Monica, and, uh, you know, home is obviously where Ellie B and, 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 my wife are and, um, where my family is. Family is everything to me. Uh, and it just feels like everything goes by too quick, you know? So I really want to try and experience as much as I can with my family before it all just blurs off, you know? Um, so yeah, I like to be close uh, to everyone. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's particularly important to me. I think my parents, when we were little, instilled still in us. And my grandparents was like, family's kind of everything. And it all starts from that. And, and uh, uh,
0: so we like, we, we like to be uh, as close as we can be. How has um, your motivation for creation, getting back to creation, um, how has your motivation for that evolved over the years? And in, in my story, my protagonist, he suffers a death close to him and it completely stunts his creativity. And obviously, when you're younger or you know your typical love-lorn adolescent, you use that sadness as fuel for your creativity. You know, you write a dozen love songs, it becomes a record. Freddie, my protagonist, he, he, at that point in his life where... He's now faced with the responsibility of his own life and his career and why we're here and all that kind of jazz. So death affects him completely differently and it makes him realign a lot of things. So in in the story, he needs to get back to a good place in order to feel like he can create again. You're experienced enough now that you've gone through peaks and troughs of creativity. so. It's not particularly getting into a melancholy mood to you know you don 't have to be suffering heartbreak to be writing songs like you said you 're in a very settled place at the moment you're married you 've got a child so and you've recently gone through this massive phase of creativity other times obviously if you've booked studio time i guess you 've got to be in a, you've got to force yourself to be creative in a certain way so how was your motivation for creation evolved over the years?
1: Well, a lot of it's like like I said that spark just kind of comes out of nowhere a lot of it don't I would say like 85% of it is just showing up and what I mean by that is just like you put me in a studio with someone who's good for me and I'm like I'm, most likely I'm going to write a song or record a song it's just going to happen and you know there will be different levels of how, how great it ends up or not but you know for me it's just a lot of it's just sitting down doing it, you know? And so I will say since, since we've had L.E.B., a lot of that extra energy that I would normally kind of go to record or go or write songs or write ideas down, um, a lot of that energy just goes to being creative as a dad, you know, and being creative as how I navigate the dates with her to fill that time or inspire her or teach her or her teach me. Uh, or work through a moment with her that maybe she's frustrated or, or, you know, that's all, a lot of my creative energy goes there uh, right now. Um, But uh, as far as getting it done, so much of it's just showing up and just kind of just doing it just like, and I believe too with writing, As well, you could put it off, put it off because you tell yourself a story in your mind, oh, it has to be like this. this. A lot of it's just like sit down, put the pen to the paper or start typing and don't worry if nothing's coming up right away. Someone really smart told me, and I probably told you this before, you know, it's like. It's like picking at a scab at first. You know, it's kind of a gross analogy, but first it's, it's like you pick at the scab and there's nothing coming out Not good. and you keep going and it starts oozing out good stuff. And it's just kind of getting <laughs> through that, getting through those initial moments and just, just start doing it and just keep doing it. A lot of people have a lot of success because they have a great work ethic and that whether they write something good or not, they just commit to like every day at 7:30 a.m i'm gonna have a coffee or a juice i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna write for an hour mm. and i don't care and i don't care what comes out of it and if you do that enough and you commit to that and you have a good work ethic i guarantee a writer will write something uh and it will be as as good as they're capable of and everyone has different capabilities at the end of the day and
0: that's just what it is but they'll be able to get something out for sure absolutely what is the ultimate creative indulgence for you
1: being in the studio
0: is pretty indulgent
1: man um it's like I still can't believe I get to do that uh, you know this many years later and I think you know one of my favorite things for sure is just Craig you know going in and like Bringing something to life in that way, or whether I had the song written before or not, um, sometimes sometimes it's so cool to go in and there's nothing. We just go in with like purposely, wide open, beautiful, empty canvas, and we can do whatever we want. And as something that didn't exist, you know, Mm -hmm. five hours before, all of a sudden this thing—it's like whoa, song you never heard before—it comes out of nowhere, and that's uh, especially when it turns out pretty good, where you like it. Uh, it's really uh, satisfying, and it does feels indulgent in a way because it's a uh, it's a special uh, special moment where you're you know in a way it's like you know they say you know God is the creator you know and it feels like and we're all created in that image supposedly of, that we're all maybe meant to be creators in our own ways and uh, I think we're all meant to be creators in our own ways and that's one way to kind of like manifest that, you know, um, in a, in a, in a, human way,
0: just to, you know, create something new, you know? Yeah. Um, I know, I know that you're a big believer in balance though. So, I mean, even, even with that in mind, as with any indulgence, do you think that too much of being in the studio would be counterproductive to creativity? It
1: could be for sure. And, you know, I'm a perfect example of, you know, it, the studio is a luxury to me. It's not, it's not or it's not that uh, I spend that much time. You know, percentage-wise of my years, yeah, you could probably count. You know, I probably spent overall in the studio less than a hundred days of all the music I ever made. I, you know, I don't know how much. You know, yeah. uh, if you added up every day I was ever in the studio and all the music I made, it probably isn't that many percentage-wise. So
0: it's a special time when you're in the studio. When creating something that you know is going to be put out as a body of work, what becomes your motivation for that? For for example, um, I can work as a ghostwriter 100 times with 100 different people. But when I write something that's a work of fiction, I have to think about the message, I have to think about what I'm trying to say, if it's articulated strongly enough in what I'm writing, how much am I writing because I want people to draw, draw their own conclusions and their own interpretations from it. But in the genesis of the idea, there's at least... You know, all art is kind of subjective, and you take what you want from it, but you know that in the genesis of creating something, there's at least one message that you're trying to get across. Even if it's not, you know, you can't tell... Everyone's written a love song, so you're always following something in a certain way. So, you know, like you said, you don't try and get hung up on certain things. and try trying to create something that's completely brand new that no one's ever read or heard before. But do you ever feel like, is what I'm adding of value, does this represent the message I'm trying to say? Does it go through, I mean, does it go that way through an entire body of work, through an album? You know, trying to get a theme across or a central message.
1: Yeah, like, I feel like there's always a filter in my head that's kind of judging, assessing... Is that fresh? Is that corny? Is that saying something that may have been said before, but in a fresh way, you know, and sometimes as I'm doing it, I'll have, you know, my radar will go off really quick, like, oh, no, we got to change that, you know, and I'll feel real strong about it. Um And then I'll have like a, 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 you know, something to replace a lyric that I feel stronger. And it's kind of just like you're circling around it. You're circling around it. A lot of times I'm writing these songs and they're coming out. And for me, it's kind of just like I'm letting it flow out and I'm connecting to something in the melodies and the music that's kind of dictating what I want to say. And then the idea of like what I'm saying or what it means isn't so important to me at the get-go. I kind of don't want to get in the way of that. I want it to kind of, I want to keep an open mind there as long as it feels interesting. And then as it starts to coalesce um, within, a, you know, an hour or 20 minutes, it depends. Then it, I just keep taking steps with it and keep taking the next step and take next, next step. And all of a sudden I start to realize where where this is going and what it came from, um, and a lot of times, even when I'm in a great, I've written some of my most emotional songs and I'm, I'm personally in a great place. But I'm kind of a sponge, and I think like when people around me are are going through um, adversity or having a hard time or dysfunction, uh, it gets into my subconscious, and it's a big inspiration that comes out. And this, I start telling a story, and I realize, like, oh, this, this, I know where this came from. It came from me thinking about them or this couple or um, something that went on in someone, someone's life that's close to me. And uh, I see that as a pattern since I've been young in, in my writing. Um, uh, and then there were periods in my life where I was feeling plenty of it myself, and I would— dip into that as you go with back and forth and the, the blackout, you know, those are very, very, uh, representative of, of that, of my own, uh, term model. but those stories I find are typically kind of universal. And I feel like, you know, like one reason why like for us it was about someone else, but then it came around and was about me is because I feel like, everyone's going to go through stuff after life. It just might be at the same time, you know? So mm. anything's going to have the opportunity, you know, the Morrissey songs, well, song, one of my favorite, that joke isn't funny anymore. The lyric, you know, I've seen this happen in other people's lives now. It's happening in mine. I mean, Oh my gosh. To articulate that, you just basically just said it straight up. But, mm. you know, I think that's what, I think that's what I've experienced um, in, uh,
0: and some of the songs coming around, you know. On that theme, for me, um, writing the entire novel of Peach is summarised by the line from your song, um, I'm Not The One, which serves as the introduction line for it. Um, In this world, are we just strangers when we fail to make a connection? It says so much about everything to do with the story, even on that fundamental level of... uh, I'm taking it way back to... You know, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around, does it make a sound? I mean, the answer is obviously yes, but what we're generally talking about is the reception of it, and the reception determines the value of it in a certain respect. You know, first of all, it's the sound of the tree, I guess, but anything, any an opinion or any sort of work of art is always determined by the value of someone else's perception of it, and I guess. That can be talked about or associated to everything, whether it's behavior or something that we create. And in in Peach, what I've concentrated on mostly is the fluid nature of relationships and and the connections, the transient connections that we make in life. So how Freddie, the protagonist, he's gone through everything in his life with this idea of beginnings and ends that everything's absolute in terms of one relationship ends and you can never revisit that, you know, in that innocent way that we all do, I guess. But then he goes through this traumatic experience and he's re-evaluating the idea of what is permanent and what isn't permanent. And then for Freddie, the answer is yes, he's he's a stranger to himself until he makes that connection in his life that allows him to fully embrace who he really is. But then. The answer to your lyric isn't necessarily yes, is it? It's almost how we, as people, judge our own value based on the perception of others. How we determine our sense of belonging. I mean, what's your answer? What's your own answer to the question that we just strangers when we fail to make a connection? How the question, Wayne. It's your question, Pete.
1: I asked it. I asked it. Maybe I wasn't even looking for an answer, you know? Um, I guess in the simplest, the simplest way is, um, I, I think everyone has ideas about people, you know? And until we make ourselves somewhat vulnerable by reaching out or initiating a conversation or trying to make eye contact or anything you just have, you don't have anything but the story in your, uh, of what you think that person is of them in your head, you know? And sometimes that story is intimidating or set on something based on an old experience that you had with somebody else. Um, And until you really kind of get in there and make an effort to uh, open up a communication, I find most times the big idea that you had is, uh, and the story that you told yourself is different than the reality. And the reality is most times that there's so much in common and there's so much love and, um, humanness and possibility and uh so you know think about how many people you pass in the street every day you see them as strangers and they are strangers you know and but any of those people could potentially be your your best friend you know or just you know or just someone that you have a lot in common with and so that idea i think um you know
0: lends to that you know absolutely um great answer to a great question Um, as well as your kind permission to use that line to open the book the actor Charles Baker has been helping as well he's releasing an original soundtrack to accompany the book you of course you've worked in soundtracking before so I just want to know um, your opinion of how soundtracks change the way that you experience other art Um, do you find the experiences enhanced by an effective soundtrack It could work both ways if it's really good, yeah, it enhances uh big time. Um
1: we um you know, the right score or the right, you know, song put over a film, you know, there's a reason it's there. It's designed to kind of evoke emotion or help, you know, really drive home a scene and when it's done masterfully it's it all works together in this wonderful experience, you know. Um And my favorite, we had a good experience with it recently where my middle brother just had his 50th birthday one of the presents for him was we put together, you know, a video montage of all his baby pics and grown-up pics. And my cousin, you know, is an amazing editor, uh, Max, and he uh, helped put it together for us and you know picking the music for it was one of the most fun things and there's some music that just pumps you up and was real you know part of his teenage years and you know just as an element and then there were there were moments that, that you know some people give gave some speeches some video speeches for him and i remember we, we one of our favorite songs is new york city serenade by springsteen and, the, and there's these strings that are so heartbreaking and beautiful and Max kind of faded them up underneath my brother talking at the end. And I'm thinking about it now. It'll tear me up. Yeah. It was such a beautiful moment. Um, and it just, like, got everyone just, you know, tears rolling down their face. And, you know, I think without the music, it was strong. But with the music, it's just like, whoa, it just takes you over the top, you know? So that, that, that ability for music to help evoke greater emotion is... Is uh you
0: know, is awesome. Yeah. We had almost an identical um, story to that. So for my nephew Freddie's first birthday, I, I did a video. Um, we put together a bunch of his first videos. He literally just went learned to walk. The first song that um, he heard, when they, well, the, fir- the first official song of his life was Born to Run by Springsteen, actually, and they, they, they was in a cab coming home from the hospital that, that that was on, and my brother told me that, and he, I don't know, he just stood with me, and and he used to, my brother would sing Jungle Book songs to him when he, you know, trying to get him to sleep, so we put together the montage, and I put a couple of the um, the Jungle Book songs on, but um, we got the videos of him starting to walk, and writing the, um, at that point in, in the overall video, I put the opening refrain on of Bouncer on, you know, now, 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 and oh nice. my God, we're just watching it, it's like he's Niagara Falls, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's, like, he's got you yeah. right Pete, the, the chat has been immense, but um, I, I want to un- end every one of these podcasts by going through a quick-fire um, 10-question shootout with the 10 questions that were immortalised by James Lipton in the, in, the, in the Actor's Studio series. So I'm going to fire them at you um, and try not to think um, or deliberate too much. We'll try and get an instant reaction for them, um, how you're feeling in the moment. So the first one, what is your favourite word? Le right. Okay. Why? Translated as grapefruit. Grapefruit. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, it is a, it's a good sounding word. What's your least favorite word? Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Why? That's it's a, a nice word. Pumpkin. <laughs> I don't mind pumpkins. I like pumpkins, but the word is sounds funny to me. <laughs> what turns you on creativit- creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Life, life. Okay, what turns you off? Don't say death. <laughs> Brute people. What is your favourite curse word?
1: Fuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's always something naughty about dropping one, isn't it? Fuck. Um, what sound or noise do you love?
1: The sound of Ellington bees
0: laugh. Yeah. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh,
1: the sound of nails on the chalkboard. Yeah,
0: that's a good one. That's a good one. I think it's ice in the freezer. Do you know that? Oh, polystyrene. In, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Psychology.
0: Yeah. I think you'd be a good psychologist. Um, What profession would you not like to do? Dentist. Dentist. And the last one, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? you want that tequila neat or on the rocks? (laughs) Um, Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and as always, it could go on for hours. Just a little reminder, the EP for the part, the the, the record with Scott Johnson, is going to be out June the 1st, right? Absolutely. Will there be any promotion um, in terms of any touring for that?
1: Uh, We might figure out some shows, um, but um, we we
0: uh we need to discuss it we need to discuss it and the the exciting news of the new project when might we start to hear news about how, how that will take sure. out
1: now i really would like to get a song or two at least out uh, by uh, late summer uh, september in there and then possibly something to follow so awesome. yeah that's,
0: that's I, don't want, cool. I don't want to i don't want to on this stuff too long so yeah so yeah. Oh, amazing that's that's pretty soon um any plan i guess you'll be touring that as well um going back out doing the you and me thing i mean so those those shows are great yeah i think i'll, I'll probably do a little bit of both so we'll figure it out amazing pete again thank you for your time it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thanks uh, my man uh, uh, It it's a
1: good enjoy talking to you and-